Is it your desire to be pure before the Lord? Let, 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 let's. I was referred to this morning as the talking head. That's more your fault than mine. Do you ever been in one of those churches? Maybe you never have. I have. Where you just want to stay there forever. This one's getting there. But here's the problem. Participation. I want you to participate. When I ask a question, holler it out. Something strikes you as being good. If it strikes you as being bad, that's okay. It helps. We're talking about a serious subject this morning. About being confronted with God. From John 18. So turn in your Bibles to John 18. While you're turning there, though, realize... That God created us for a relationship with Him. And ever since Adam and Eve sinned, we've been running from Him. And He keeps putting things in our way to help us understand that outside of Him, there's no sufficiency. There's no happiness, there's no peace, no nothing. Now, I understand and I am grateful that there are different points of view in this congregation today. So, realize that I am not here to convince you. I am merely here to give the biblical position. That's it. Now, I cannot make you. If I could, I would, believe me. That's just my personality. If I could make you believe it, I would. You know, take your dog, and when he goes on the carpet, take his nose and rub it in. My dad used to do that. It does not help the dog not do it again. I just, I think it helped him. So if you say some preachers act like they're really mad all the time, sometimes it just helps them. God wants to meet with you today. But we get so used to doing the same thing. That we forget. Or we've never met with him so we don't know what we're missing. So stand in honor and reverence. We're going to start in verse 1 of John 18. We've got a lot to go through and I've only got a short time. So eastbound and watch old bandit go. Here we go. The Bible says in John 18 verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron. Where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am. 
And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which he had spoke of those whom you have given me. I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Would you bow with me? Father God, we offer this to you, just as you have offered it to us. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to understand. Give us a will to make the right choice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A Chinese sage once said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. There has been a journey of human history. And in this passage of scripture that we have just read, there is a comparison between garden to garden. The Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's so interesting to me that in the first garden, Adam and Eve, it's where it all started. Human history started in a garden. Know that the that the beginning of new life also begins in a garden, Gethsemane. Notice that, you know, Adam and Eve chose poorly, didn't they? They sinned in the Garden of Eden. But then Jesus comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He had a choice to make, didn't he? Was it an easy choice? Are you all with me over here? Huh? Garrett, you with me? You focus on something else. Okay, right here, brother. Was he? Did Jesus have a choice? Yes. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. He, he had a choice to make. But what did he say? No, he hadn't said that yet. But that's where we're going, to the garden. You see, Adam and Eve chose poorly. Jesus, whoo, as always, he chose well. How about this? In the Garden of Eden, the sword was drawn. Why did the angel have a sword drawn? I'm going to ask this side. I picked on y'all enough. Why did, why did the angel have a sword drawn? Does anyone know the Bible here? Do you read the Bible? Ah, to guard the tree of life. Because the Bible says that if someone had gone in and ate the tree of life, while they were still a sinner, they would live perpetually separated from God. Hell, that's what that is. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, put the sword up in the Garden of Gethsemane because now the offer of life is freely given to everyone. That's what we're coming to today. The Garden. We're in a long journey here. We're going to start now and we're going to be looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ all the way to Easter. 
1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22 says this. For since by a man came what? By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in shall all be made. Isn't that a great verse? So we're going to look at this passage today, and we're going to see some clear-cut confrontations that God has. We're going to look at three men. Well, actually, three groups. One's a group, two are men. How about that? But they encompass attitudes in every one of our hearts. As I was preparing this, I saw all three attitudes right here in me. One, Judas. You say, Brother Dan, you have Judas. Is that more so than I would like to think? Next, we have the crowd. And third, we have Peter. So let's look at Judas to begin with. I put that Judas has religious gestures, but he doesn't know God. And I think that if we could put a pool in church, we have more people in this crowd than we do in the crowd of people that are actually Christians and know God. You see, Judas walked with the Savior of the world for three and a half years. Wouldn't you like to do that? Wouldn't you like to have seen him open blind eyes? You know, leprosy gone. She liked to say, Lazarus, come forth. I had to say it that way. I like saying that. And the dude came out. I mean, I've said before, Sean, come out. <laughs> it hasn't worked. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have been with Jesus? Judas walked with him for three and a half years. And you know how much of Jesus' teaching he applied to his own life? Just like some of you here, you can hear the word of God. How, do, how can I say that? Well, you look right here in verse 3. It says that Judas came with a Roman cohort, which is 600 men. And they all came, and the, the guards from the temple, that was another 30. So we got 630 people coming to grab one man, they came armed to the teeth. Now, I didn't think any of the disciples were armed, but apparently Peter <laughs> was a Boy Scout. <laughs> he was prepared. Now, if he'd have known Jesus and what Jesus had taught, he would have known that Jesus wasn't going to fight. Has he said anything? Time after time, time after time, he said, this, for this purpose I was born. You see, they didn't have to come take Jesus. He laid his life down. But see, Judas didn't understand anything about Jesus because Judas was all about Judas. Now, think about it like this. Judas followed Christ for one reason. What Judas could get from Christ. We call that utilitarian. He followed Christ as a utility it was a vehicle to get him what he wanted you see judas the bible tells us he controlled the purse the money for the little group everybody brought their money to judas and judas kind of slipped some in his own pocket from time to time 
See, Judas joined the crowd because he thought this is going to be an easy way to make a living. And you see, when the opportunity came where he could make a better living by betraying Christ, guess what he did? He betrayed Christ. Now, that's where a lot of us are at. Let me read a verse for you. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, what? Okay, so the world's wisdom is never going to get to the place of knowing God. The world's wisdom is take care of number one. Whatever you can do to get the most for yourself, you do. Whatever you can do to make your health better than everybody else, do. Whatever you can do to get a better job, do it. We teach our children this pagan philosophy. We say, look, I got your report card, Tommy, today, and it's not good. Do you realize, son, that if you don't get this worked out, you're going to be flipping hamburgers for the rest of your life? I don't know if you've ever heard this speech. You're not going to get into college, son, and your mother and I can't afford for you to go, so you're going to have to get a scholarship. Son, are you listening to me? And if you don't go to college, you ain't going to get the job. No, no. And, and then you're not going to have the nice house like this, and you ain't living here, son. So you better go home or go, go to school, work, so you can get the job, so you can pay the same bills that I have. That's what we teach our children. Pagan to the core. Pagan to, there's nothing godly about that at all. We're teaching them to be Judases. And if Jesus can help you do that, son, you use Jesus. If you need the devil, you use him. That's the world's wisdom. And it never crisscrosses God's path. It's like this. The world's wisdom says, God help me. Think about your prayer life. Examine it. Because the world's wisdom is always saying, God help me. Now, if we're honest, most of us, the way we came to Christ in the beginning was, God help me, a sinner. And that's okay. But should it stay there? No. You see, because once he has saved me and the Spirit of God has come to dwell in me, it changes things. Then my, chair, my wisdom changes from the world's wisdom to God's wisdom. The God's wisdom is this. Die to me. You want to know God? Find opportunities to die to yourself. You want to know why most people struggle in marriage? Because it's a gracious opportunity to die to yourself. If you're only following Christ for the perks, you will betray him. It's just a matter of time. Because here's the key. There'll come a day when you will lay on a bed in death. And at that point, it won't matter how much wealth you have accrued. It won't matter anything except your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have been with many, many, many people as they have breathed their last. And I've not met one that says, Woo, I've been looking forward to this. 
Never met anybody that said, man, I wish I had one more day to get time and a half. Health and wealth will begin to go on. I just want you to ask yourself this. Am I living to know the Lord? Am I seeking to die to myself every day? Or am I, like Judas, seeking to please myself, make myself more comfortable, do better for me? That's Judas. Now, if I'm honest, I see Judas here. So if you're saying, nope, got that one checked off, maybe you better review. Because that spirit is here. It's here all the time. I've got to kill it nearly daily. Let's move on to the crowd, though. I put this. The crowd saw God's glory but refused to kneel to him. You say, Brother Dan, excuse me. When you were reading the text, you misread. How many of y'all got your Bible with you? Good. Good. Look at your Bible. If you have a Bible that's worth anything, the word he in there is going to be in italics. Look at it. Do you see it? Is it? Okay. That means that it wasn't in the original text. They put that in there to help you read it better. But here's the problem with people trying to help the word of God. It takes away from it. Okay. Jesus said, ego me." I am. It's the same thing. Go back. Moses is walking through the wilderness, right? He sees a bush. You remember? You shake your head. Just lie, okay? Tell me. Okay. <laughs> Are you with me? Okay. Look, I'm tired of playing church. I told you last week I was sick of it, and I'm going to make changes. You may not like the changes, but they're coming. Saw a bush. The bush was on fire, but it wasn't burning says, hey, take off, that's my interpretation, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And he said, I am that I am. That's what he said. That was God's introduction of himself. Look at the text here. Jesus, I love it when verse 4, when it says he knew all things. Let's, let's just examine that for a second. Does that mean Jesus knew everybody? In, Jesus in his deity was omniscient, meaning he knew everything. But when Jesus came to earth, he laid aside his divinity. Jesus did not know the thoughts of everyone's heart. But here's the key. Jesus, while he was on earth, 100% lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit revealed much to him. If you or I, the key here is, if you or I will live 100% in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would know and see much more than we know or see. Jesus was aware that he was about to die. And most people, if they saw the people coming, you know, they're coming to take me away, ha-ha, they're coming to take me away, ha-ha, away, away to the funny. If, if we knew that was happening, what would we do? We would run or hide or do something. What does Jesus do? He steps right up. He says, who are you looking for? What do they say? Jesus the Nazarene. And he said, I am. Boom, what happened? They came to arrest him and Jesus arrested them. 
They're laying on the ground. They can't get up. I really believe that just for a moment, just like the transfiguration, the veil opened up and they saw the glory of Jesus Christ. And when they saw the glory of Jesus Christ, what did they do? Couldn't do nothing. That may not even be the most interesting part of this story. The most interesting to me is that they saw the glory of God and yet arrested him anyway. It's almost like this. They saw the glory of God and they said, world's wisdom again. We got a job to do. I got three miles to feed back home. Probably back then it was like, I got 13 miles to feed back home. If I don't bring you in, I don't get my money. You see, they were all concerned about their job rather than the Savior. Look at verse 9. Jesus said, well, at verse 8, end of it, he says, let these go, these others that are with me. It says, to fulfill the statement, which says, I didn't lose any. Didn't he lose one? Jim, what's that? He never had Judas. Judas never surrendered his life to the Lord. He did outwardly, didn't he? Remember, it was just an outward facade. He had all the religious gestures down. Oh, be careful that it's not you that's got all the religious exercises down. Be careful that it's not you that's willing to sacrifice the Lord just to keep your job. Oh, I see this in church all the time. You see, instead of people, they have their little job at church. Oh, boy. They have their little job at church. And their whole spirituality is wrapped up in what they do at the church. Okay? Follow me now. If anything happens to that job, their whole life is ruined. Do you think they're going to let anything happen to that job? Oh, no. They don't know God. It's all about a job. It's just like this crowd. You can tell this when it comes down to God moving in a different way where you have to be a little bit flexible. I remember as a young deacon, our pastor, this is when I knew God had not called me to be a pastor. (laughs) We had got done with two services in the morning, a discipleship hour, then evening service, and our pastor was whipped. I know a lot more about that today than I knew then. This man that was a Sunday school teacher, been a Sunday school teacher for 35 years. He should have been one of the, one of the stalwarts in the church for the glory of God. But we had had to move around classrooms because growth was happening. And oddly enough, his class wasn't growing. So they were going to have to move him to a, a different classroom. Oh, he was mad. He came before the preacher. I'll never forget it. He poked his finger right up, I mean that close to the preacher's face. He said, it'll be a cold day in Bonneville. I'll never forget he said it. It'll be a cold day in Bonneville before you take my classroom. He said, I'll tell you what, I give a lot of money to this church, and the people in my class give a lot of money to this church, and if you move me, we're all quitting that. And I'll never forget the pastor's response. He 
looked at him. He said, brother, you got to do what the Lord's leading you to do. And he walked away. To me, it's been one of the biggest things in my life that have showed me the restraint. Because you know. story's not done though two days later I get a call Sunday school so and so had a massive aneurysm and died two days two days later it's the first time I've ever heard an honest preacher in a funeral because brother Herb got up and gave that story God serious? Is God concerned about the little peely jobs that we have at church? Not if he is not honored. Not if his glory isn't portrayed. He wants us to worship him, not to have everybody else come and worship me. That's the key. And we've missed it in church, largely. I read this in Psalm 27. We're going to put it up there on the thing. Here it goes. It says, the Lord is my light and my, don't you like this next part? Whom shall I fear? You got an answer to that question? Nada. What's the next part say? And the answer to that is no one. What do I got to be afraid of? You think Jesus is afraid of 630 people with clubs and knives coming at him? All he does is say his name and boom, they can't do nothing. Oh, you know Jesus went out there and got himself killed. Uh-uh. Look what it says in the next part of Psalm. When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. It's one of the prophecies about Jesus. I just think about it like this. When you're confronted with the glory of God, you're confronted with the glory of God everywhere you look. You get up in the morning, you look outside, guess what came up? If you get up real early, <laughs> you, don't, you get to see it in action, right? When you, when you come home at night, what do you get to see? I told the early service, I got something in my eye this week, and I was looking at my eye. It was quite amazing when I, my, my eyelid actually flipped inside out and I got to kind of looking at that thing. And it so intrigued me that I had to go and look it up and look at more of what it was. Wow! All that on this face. Isn't it amazing that we just ignore all of it? We'd much rather focus on a job than focus on knowing God. I wish that we could live our lives in such a way that we would seek to know God. That we would seek ways to die to self. Would to God that we come to a Sunday school teacher and they say, Hey, the church is growing, praise God. Where, if you put me in a broom closet, I'm happy. As long as God's working and he's glorified. Let's move on.
We've got Judas. I see Judas and me. How about you? I see the crowd. I, I love just having the responsibility of a job and being able to look and see things gotten taken care of. It's much more dicey getting to know God. But let's move on. Here's Peter. I couldn't find a K word, so that's why I came up with this one. He's the reactive guardian, but no kudos from God. Was God happy that he pulled out his sword? Do you think that he was aiming for Malchus's ear? No, I don't think so. I think he was aiming dead center. Malchus's must have been quick. Here's the fact. As a Christian, you will either wield the sword or you will wield the cup. Let me explain. Just before this, Jesus had been praying to the Father. Does anybody on this side remember what he prayed? Yes. We talked about it earlier. He said, Father, let this cup. What is the cup? The cup, he had explained it before when they were doing the Last Supper. Remember? He said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Then he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What's that mean? New covenant means this. No longer do you have to come to the temple to worship God. No longer. You are the temple. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Here's my point. The sword's meant to kill. The cup's meant to die. God has called us to die, not to kill. This has been largely confused throughout history. The Crusades are all about Christians going out and killing other people. Looking at people and saying, Joel, become a Christian or I'll kill you. That's not Christ. That's not Christ at all. You see, this is Christ. Joel, God loves you, and even if you want to come and kill me, if you light me on fire, when the last part of my flesh burns up, if I'm willing, I'm going to be saying that Jesus loves you. That's Christ. See, Christ isn't the one saying, I hate all you homosexuals. That's not Christ. Christ is saying, hey, You've bought into a lie. There's hope if you'll just surrender your life to me. God's not looking at the alcoholic saying, what a loser. No. God's saying, you just come to me. I've given all that I have. Here's the problem I have. We all say that we're Christians. If we're a Christian, number one, the Spirit of God lives in us. Amen? Do you think the Spirit of God can come in you and just have no effect? I got the defective one. They must have made mine on Friday. No. The Bible told us just a couple chapters ago that if the Spirit of God comes to live within you, number one, He's going to convict you of your sin. You're going to have to deal with it. If you're not largely consumed with dealing with your own sin, the Holy Spirit is not there. It also says 
he'll convict the world concerning righteousness. If you're not concerned about a right standing with God, you've got no spirit. What's last? It says he'll convict the world concerning judgment. We've just got through reading Revelation. The interesting thing about the Holy Spirit convicting you of judgment, he's not convicting the Christian over his own judgment because Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What he's convicting the Christian of is that there's a whole world out there. Jason and I were talking about Revelation. We said, man, we were ready to get a busload and go today. The only problem is there would be millions upon millions of people that still don't know Jesus Christ. And while we come and we have a little church and we walk out the back of the church the same way we came in. Are, are you tired of it? I feel like I'm like Peter. I want to go out there and cut him. Do you want to get saved? God loves you. Turn and burn. I don't know. Do you think Malchus was more open to the gospel when the blade came down or when the ear got healed? And I'm telling you what, the only way people are going to see the healing of God is when they see your life. And when you come and say, look, here, my life was a, was a disaster. I made all the choices for myself, and it was a disaster. But God came in. He cleaned house. He not only changed my life, he changed my desire. There's a verse from Mark 10 coming up. The context of this is James and John. John's reading this. Their mommy came to Jesus. And their mommy said, I want my boys on your left and on your right when you start reigning in the kingdom. Lofty goal, huh? How'd you like your mommy to come before Jesus? <laughs> See, they're like, Mom, shut up, will you? Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And what do they say? Oh, duh, we wouldn't be here, brother. That's why Jesus didn't turn them over yet. They're not ready. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. They will not withstand without the Holy Spirit. You'll see that. Jesus follows this up by saying the cup that I drink you shall drink and every person that names the name of Christ will also drink the same cup and that cup is dying to me and living for Christ it just doesn't happen to some of the super spiritual ones it happens to the ones that are saved And you've got to examine your own heart to see if it's going on within you. We're called to be ambassadors, not judges. The world's already been judged. God's word says it. There is a standard. God has given it. He says that the world will know we're his disciples by the way we love one another. He's also said in the very chapter before this that by the way we all get along, 
in the church will show that Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah. Think about all the arguments that you hear in church. Well, you want to get something around town quick? Have a church split. This side says, we don't like people that don't wear shirts and ties. The people on this side say, we don't like people that wear sport jackets. So we all go our separate way. Do you know that would be around town in about an hour and a half? But yet we've been here 90 years and we haven't shared the gospel with our community. Listen to this poem. It's about Gethsemane. Down the shadowy lanes, across strange streams, bridged over our broken dreams, behind the misty caps of the years, beyond the great salt fount of tears, the garden lies. Strive as you may, you cannot miss it in your way. All paths that have been or shall be pass somewhere through Gethsemane. All those who journey, soon or late, must pass within the garden gate, must kneel down in the darkness there and battle with some fierce despair. God pity those who cannot say, not mine, but thine. Who only pray, let this cup pass, and cannot see the purpose of Gethsemane. This is the problem in the church. Here it is. God has given us circumstances in our lives. Hard, difficult circumstances. God wants to use those circumstances to reveal himself to us. But all we do is pray, God, take the cup from me. When the cup is the very reason we're alive. I don't know where you're at today. But I know this. God made us for one specific reason know him and you can search the whole world over and think you found true love but there's an old song that says only Jesus can satisfy your soul so I'm not here to cram it down your throat I've been on both sides I know the despair of being without Christ. I know the wonderful hope that I have in Christ. So I'm telling you as an eyewitness that I wouldn't have it any other way. And I challenge you to examine my life. I'm not perfect. I struggle every day with my sin. If you want to know the struggles, I'm more than willing to share them. But I also know that through all these struggles, God is revealing himself to me. And I got to tell you, the more I sacrifice, the more I know. And that just makes me want to sacrifice.
If you're here and you don't know Christ, the first sacrifice you need to make is control of your own life. You can still keep in control of your own life, whatever that means. There's no hope there. If you're here and you say, well, I I gave my life to Christ a long time ago, but since then I've really got off track. That's the great thing about God. He hadn't changed. He says, just humble yourself. Confess it. I'm here. What he doesn't want is this attitude. He'll judge that attitude. I'm afraid to tell you he's judged it in my life before. And I don't want it. I love what Brother Lloyd said when he gave his testimony. God loves us. And he wants to reveal himself to us. What's stopping us is us. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, this is our invitation time. Father, you know it. I'll not try to pull people's heartstrings, get people emotional. I just lay it before you, Father. This is your time. We all make choices. Help us to make the right ones right now. Father, I pray that that little voice in us that's screaming out, you're not so bad, Stacy, that we'll not listen to that voice, but we'll be guided by your spirit as we deal with our sin, as we deal with our right relationship with you, and as we deal with the lost and the dying world. Jesus' name I pray. Would you stand, heads bowed, eyes closed, the altar's open. I'll be down front if you want to talk to me, but there's nothing magical I've got. The Lord's here. Pray. Examine your life before Him. Use this time. Come just as you are.